Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to a discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the wealth podcast for people who see things differently. In this episode, we're going to talk about qualified plans. What is a qualified plan and what does it do? Are you actually saving taxes? We'll answer these questions, clear up some common misconceptions, and talk about some tactics that help you to make an informed decision as to whether a qualified plan is right for you, or you may be heading into a financial mistake that could cost you tens of thousands of dollars. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont with Dumont Wealth, and I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for over 10 years. Joining us today is our co-host, Brian. Hello there, Kevin. Brian Dumont here, managing partner of Dumont Wealth. Glad to be here today. Glad to have you. Now, let's jump right into our discussion. We hear you when you say that you know what a qualified plan is. You know, it's your retirement savings account, but you don't know a whole lot more than that. You know, it's, there's a lot going on with them, and it's all very confusing. So let's start by talking about what a qualified plan is with our resident expert, Brian. Great. Thanks, Kevin. So i like to start off by just talking technically for a moment for those of you who are going to want a technical answer here. Qualified plans are technically um, ERISA plans that have tax benefits and discrimination testing, uh, whereas tax advantage plans have some tax advantages but no discrimination testing. And discrimination testing, of course, refers to um, ages or amounts of money that you make and those sorts of tests. And again, to break them down into the two main categories, qualified plans are, for example, one of two things. There are defined benefit pension plans, like the traditional defined benefit plan, or the defined contribution plan, which many people are familiar with in the form of a 401k. Then we have the category of tax advantage plans and other tax advantage plans like IRAs, And then what they technically call non-qualified plans, but still have tax advantages, like the 457. Uh, So a little bit of technicality there. But at the end of the day, you know, generally speaking or commonly speaking, I would say, you can call these tax advantage plans qualified plans because the common denominator is some type of tax advantage. Good point. So tax advantage is what we're talking about there. That, that leads us into the next part of our discussion, which is um, what do they do? What are the two key things qualified plans do? Well, that's a good question uh, because I like to start off by clarifying when we say tax advantages, how that really works and what that means. So most of us know that a 401k, when you, have, when you make a contribution to your 401k, You do that because you want to do what? Well, you know that it's going to defer the tax that year. So if you put in $1,000 a month, you have deferred or reduced your taxable income that year by $12,000. Now, that word defer is a tricky one. I have found (laughs) as I talk to people. You know, it's very interesting that the government chooses words like this that somehow or other in our psyche don't always come through. Um, the way they may, they may. And the word defer is an interesting one. It kind of can mislead people. It's almost like if it's deferred, it's out of sight, out of mind. Maybe it'll never happen. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Right? 
So I like to use the word postpone. I think about that for a second. If they call these tax postponement programs, it's a little, yeah. I'm not sure that they'd be quite as popular. It's a little more clear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they are, in fact, tax postponement programs, meaning that contribution of your 401k, they never said you weren't going to pay the tax. They just said you didn't have to pay it today. You didn't have to pay it this year as long as the money is in the account, right? So that's an interesting thing that I like to say. Right. And it it postpones what? It postpones the tax calculation. Exactly. Okay? Yes. In other words, you mean to tell me that the tax rate that I'm paying this year does not apply to my 401k? That is correct. Yep. It does not unless you took money out this year. Right. So what tax rate applies? Well, the tax rate when you take it out, right. whenever that's going to be. That could be 30 years down the road. <clears throat> Do we know what that tax rate's going to be? Well, <laughs> that's the next question, right? right? You should be asking yourself that automatically when I say this, because if the calculation is postponed, how are you going to figure out what that calculation or how much taxes you're going to have to pay? It's a good question. <clears throat> well, we have to look at what your tax bracket might be in the future. And this is where we get into the discussion of, well, okay, my tax bracket is definitely going to be lower in retirement right. because uh, I'm not going to be earning income. Therefore, <clears throat> my taxable income will be less. Well, that may or may not be the case, right? Every case is unique. But what I always say is, okay, so if you work real hard, and you work yourself into the top tax bracket, and you are a financial success because you have saved money and done everything you needed to do to have a good retirement, is it necessarily true you're going to be in a lower tax bracket? Well, I would say that the answer from our experience is that if someone has been financially successful, they're not going to find themselves in a lower tax bracket. You know, they worked all their life to earn all the money, to play with when they had all the time. Now they have all the time. They're going to play more. What does that do? Well, playing more costs more. So they've got two things going on there. They have increased lifestyle, and if they financially succeeded, they're in a top tax bracket, right? Right. So exactly. So in other words, if all your money, all your retirement savings went into the tax-deferred bucket, the tax-postponed bucket, and you start pulling out that to fund a fun retirement, so to speak. <laughs> right. You very well may not be in a lower tax bracket, meaning you haven't really, really changed the taxability of that contribution you made. Right. Right. You didn't pay it today, but you also didn't save it in the future. Not necessarily. So that's the first part of this. The second part of this is... What deductions are you going to have when you take that money out? So let me ask you this. What are the three primary deductions that most taxpayers would have? Right. Well, so they would have their home. Right. right? So if you have a mortgage under the threshold for the deductibility of the mortgage um, and your income doesn't supersede the limits on that, then you can deduct the interest on your mortgage. Right. Which applies to many people. Right, right. Many many of our, our wealth tech rebels listening right now, this will apply to them. And they also have, of course, when you're younger, you have family, you have dependents, you have your kids. Exactly. So children would be number two. 
And number three, if you are self-employed. Right. You're still working years, so you have business. You have a business. So if you have a business, then certainly that would be the three primary deductions. Now, what happens when you get into retirement? Most people want to do what with their home? Well, most people want to upgrade or change it to someplace else. They want to do what in terms of their mortgage? Oh, pay off their mortgage. There you go. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) (laughs) They want to pay off their mortgage, which also calculates out to giving up one of the three tax deductions. Right. All right. So there's one gone. Now the kids. Hopefully the kids are out of house. Hopefully. The kids are probably (laughs) probably gone, right, by the time you get to retirement. So that's tax deduction number three. And what happens to the business? Well, if you're retired, then you don't have a business. If you're retired, you sold it, whatever, you don't have the business. There you go. What I say is, okay, you've got, you saved all your money in tax postponed programs, and now you've given up all your deductions. And now you're going to start pulling the money out. Congratulations. You're the perfect taxpayer. Thank you very much. And Uncle Sam walks away with a big fat tax bill. <laughs> Yay for Uncle Sam. Right? Right. So that can be an issue too. It's thinking through, I think, the the ramifications of the strategy in terms of not just, you know, it's good to defer the taxes today, but long term, what's the potential effect of that? If we don't think carefully about that, can we generate some other deductions? And is my tax bracket actually going to be less in retirement, right? Now, if you can answer those questions in a way that means you're actually going to be in a lower tax bracket and you're going to still have tax deductions, maybe this makes sense for you, right? Right. But if that's not the case, we need to rethink the strategy, right? right? And I think that's where we're trying to lead here. It's not the only strategy that we have available. So what I want to do now is I want to walk through a fairly straightforward example so our listeners can have something to hang their hat on in terms of what the postponement calculation looks like over, let's say, a lifetime. Okay, so just to simplify things here, let's say that you're contributing $10,000 a year and your current tax bracket is 30%, and your withdrawal tax bracket remains the same, right? Let's just assume that for the moment. And you've got 30 years to do this, and in your savings account, you're going to earn your investment account, you're going to earn 6%, okay? If you did that for 30 years, what would you have in terms of a balance? You'd have about $838,000 saved on which you would still owe taxes. Right. Correct? Because this was a tax postponement program. So what would you owe? Well, you'd owe 30% of the $838,000, which is approximately $250,000. And you get to keep the balance, which is another uh, $586,000. Right. Right. Okay? 30% goes to the IRS. I think it's pretty easy to see that. Right. I I think that's the good distinction here because many of our listeners, among other people, they have this discussion probably with their accountant. And the accountant says, let's save some taxes. Your tax bill is too high this year. Let's put some money into that qualified plan, right? So I'm saving taxes. But now you're saying that we do this and no, we didn't save any taxes. We're still paying it. That's not our balance. 
Yeah. That's our balance and the government's balance. Now, let's be fair here. You didn't pay the taxes when you deferred it, right? right? But you are paying taxes now. And it's up for anyone's discussion as to whether or not that kept you out of a higher tax bracket when you made the contribution. But clearly, you didn't avoid paying taxes. Right. You still had to pay taxes. Still have to pay taxes. There's still right? two hands in that bucket. And again, all things being equal, if your tax rate today was the same as your tax rate in the future, then it's hard to argue that you saved anything. You just p- kicked the can down the street, right? Right. So um, in our example, again, on the 838000 balance, you owed the IRS 251000 and you had deferred over that time period only 90000 Now, wait a minute. So you owe the IRS two hundred fifty-one. But you only deferred 90. What am I talking about there? So what I'm saying is that, remember, the IRS doesn't want just the contribution amount that you have to pay taxes on. They want the contribution as well as the growth that you have to pay right. taxes on. they want on the whole thing. When the money comes out. Right. Okay? Right. So, you know, in order to, uh, on those $10,000 contributions over 30 years, um, you know, we had contributed on an on a monthly on an annual basis ten thousand dollars on which three thousand dollars of tax was due we didn't pay that and if you add that three thousand times thirty that's where you get to the ninety thousand dollars that you deferred you didn't pay but you still had to pay two hundred fifty one thousand more than double what you deferred right see that's the taxes at interest right and i think that's that's the one point as to why people would put their money in here. We pay more taxes because the account compounded over time without without interrupting it. So yes. we have a larger balance, which means our tax is larger. So let's say it this way. the What compounded is the tax within the account. Right. Right? The $3,000 per year that you postponed was also growing. Or yeah. turned into yeah. $3,000 a year plus interest. Right. And that's how it got from a $90,000 postponement to a $251,000 tax bill when you took the money out. Ouch. <laughs> Has anybody ever showed you that before? <laughs> that's an important right? part, yeah. <laughs> that's quite interesting, isn't yeah. it? But that's how qualified plans work. Now, let's go a little further with that idea. And I want to speak over your over your lifetime because... Remember, if you're saving for retirement, this is a long-term strategy. You start maybe when you're in your 20s all the way through your 60s when you presumably retire. So wouldn't it make sense to kind of look at what happens over that whole work lifespan? I think that's a good good idea to look at. Right? Not just look at it as today and what is it going to do to my tax return today. Yeah, this... This happens over time. So let's think about this for a moment. So let's suppose, again, that we're contributing $10,000 a year, and uh, we're going to earn 6% on that. And now I want to break up your working years into three sections, just to make for the sake of the argument here, okay? So the first 15 years of your retirement, uh, are you in the top tax bracket? You know, from age 21 to age... 36. Are well, you in the top tax bracket? Well, I know I wasn't. 
<laughs> well, I got that. Me too. Uh, I think that's the that's the case with most people. You know, when you start out, you don't start out at, at the 48% tax bracket. Not for most of us. So for many of us, that means that our tax rate when we first start saving is actually quite low. Right. Right? It's not 40%. Let's call it 15%, 20%. Let's call it 20 Okay? Now, the next... 15 years of your working career, you work hard, you get promotions, you you start a new company, there's a lot of things that can happen, right? Sure. And maybe you get into, let's call it the 30% tax bracket. And then finally, you get to the later years, the last 15 years of your career, when you're the most productive, when you're earning, so are hopefully or presumably the highest, that happens for a lot of people, right? right? They're, if they're successful in their careers, and successful enough to actually make it into the elusive top tax bracket. We'll call it 40%. We're just using round numbers today, okay? Yeah, just for the sake of discussion. And by the way, because you've done a great job of saving all those years, you're going to stay in that tax bracket when you get to retirement. I mean, why would you want to reduce your standard of living in retirement, right? Yeah. And then what I'm going to say is, look, let's look at and let's average what our rate of return was over each of these periods. We put in the money in the first period, the first 15 years, at a tax bracket of 20%. However, we took it out at a tax rate of what? 40%. What? <laughs> Let me get this straight. You're saying we put in money at half that rate? Half the eventual withdrawal rate for those early years of your retirement. Well, I don't know about you, but I call that a lose. <laughs> <laughs> That's a loss, okay? And if you calculated it out in terms of a rate of return, instead of getting the 6% like we talked about, your rate, your effective rate is lower. It's it's just barely over 5%. You've given up considerable return just to pay the taxes, right? Because your tax right. rate doubled from right. the early period to later in your life. Now, the second phase, the second 15 years of your working career you were in the 30% bracket, and you took it out at 40, so there's still a loss there. That's definitely still a lose, yeah. Yeah? yeah. That's a little higher. That's about 5.32 that that return rate equates to. And then finally, in the last phase of your work career, the last 15 years, you're in the 40% tax bracket. You take it out in the 40% tax bracket, so if you earn 6% on the account, you earn a true 6%. Right. But when you take the money out of your retirement account, you're not just taking out the dollars you put in in the last 15 years. Right. You're taking out the dollars over any of those periods, right, or all of those periods. Right. Therefore, when we average our rates of return, 5, 5 and a third, 6%, really, we're well below the 6%. Right. We're at maybe 5 and a quarter, 5 and a third. Wow. So just by putting in our money at one tax bracket, and then withdrawing it at a higher one. You know, all the risk that we took over those years to grow that money reduces the amount of money, the amount of growth that we actually had. Precisely. It really erodes the power of the uh, tax deferral when you pay a, uh, a tax down the road that's higher than you could have paid when you made the contribution. <laughs> right? Right. As I said, that sounds like a loss. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a loss. Now, one of the things that can help offset that, in case you're sitting there listening to this and feeling bad about the fact that you 
have put yourself in a lost position is that in order to get what we call the company match, right, you have to make a contribution. So this can change really the rate of return, so to speak, uh, on your overall contribution, right? Because that's basically free money if you're an employee, which you will get if you make a contribution. That we could essentially use to pay the taxes, right? So if you're contributing $10,000 a year and your employer contributes an extra, let's call it, $2,000, it's 20%, 20% contribution there. Now that raises our effective rate of return to pretty close to 6%. Yeah. Closer anyway, right? Right. In other words, that actually paid for the taxes. But again, you know, you still didn't do that well in the first part of your (laughs) contributions. Right, right. So anyway, very interesting insight into... How con you know how qualified plans work, and I always say when I show this to people, and they kind of scratch in their heads and realize, geez, <laughs> I guess I didn't make out as well as I had hoped. Mm. I say, do you think that Uncle Sam understands this? I would think so. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't want to lose money over there, and they yeah. find ways to make sure that they don't. This would be one of those, I guess. Yeah. Now, here's another factor that we want to consider. If we, again, take a bird's eye view and look historically at tax rates in the U.S., that is personal income tax rates, we know that they have not all been the same over the years, right? Right. So 1913 is when the personal income tax started. Of course, it has never gone away. And we have had rates as low initially as 7% and then jump up as high as 94% in 2000, in 1944, right? Well, that, of course, is pretty high. It's amazing. How could you possibly live on a 94% tax? Well, there were lots of tax loopholes and so on. But there were a lot of years in the 1940s through 50s and early 60s when the tax rates were well over 80%, in the 90-something percent range, Mm. for a long period. And people forget that. And then the tax rates kind of came down into the 70% range in the late 60s and early 70s, all the way up to the early 80s. And then the tax rates came down again in the 80s and kind of landed somewhere closer to where they are today. We're talking tax top tax brackets here around 35 to 40%, depending on the year, right? Right. So one of the considerations, and historically, if we look at it, it made a lot of sense to try to defer taxes when you're at a 70 or an 80 or 90% tax rate, right? Yeah. I mean, we think eventually those taxes have to come down. Well, they did. And so in a uh, in a high tax rate environment, high is all relative, right? So historically right. high is in the 80s or 90s, not 30s or 40s. Right. And so... Now we have to look at it and say, well, where do we think things are going in the future? Well, right? of course, right. Can the government change their tax strategy? Yeah, and I think we see in history that that has happened. You know, particularly you look at any time in history where there's something major that happens that costs our country, such as the Great Depression, or in particular, you know, armed conflict wars. A lot of wars. So World War 
One, World War II, Vietnam, Korea, we saw increases in the personal income tax rate right. to help fund those circumstances. Yeah. Even, even the Iraqi war. Even the Iraqi war. So, you know, we don't know what the future holds, but if you're going to say, hey, my retirement's out 15 or 20 years from now, or even five years from now, could you reasonably predict what's going to happen with the tax rate when we don't know what the next armed conflict's going to be? Well, we're still in them, technically. <laughs> we haven't paid for it yet. Some of it we haven't even paid for. We know that we have uh, an incredible amount of debt in this country. And when that's going to be paid, uh, the question is, are you going to be paying it by pulling money out of a qualified plan? Right. And I think that's uh, that's a definitely a key consideration, is, is what is the future? How is that going to affect your, your plan there? Yeah, so, again... You know, I'm not trying to say that qualified plans are bad. There's no bad financial strategy or instrument out there. But we do have to look at it in terms of some of the implications sure. and come up with a strategy that could address potential problem areas. And certainly, we know that when you look at historical facts about tax rates in the U.S. and uh, you look about at the personal facts of whether or not you're going to be financially successful and what that's going to do to your tax rate. When you look at those two factors, then you have to say, okay, is my tax deferral strategy necessarily going to save me taxes? Right. Because there's a difference between saving taxes and postponing taxes. As we discussed, yes, definitely a huge one. I think think our our wealth tech rebels will have definitely a much better uh, grasp now of the difference there. But... There's one other consideration, too. You know, we often talk about um, how important it is to have control of your wealth. I think we should talk a little bit about, you know, what are the restrictions? You know, in other words, limitations of the control of a qualified plan. Yeah, so, again, tax savings versus tax postponement, we've looked at that issue. But, again, one of the things that people often forget to consider is that for the benefit of the potential tax uh, savings or tax advantages in these plans, they do come with restrictions. And the IRS does that for a number of reasons. The first one, of course, most people are familiar with is the contribution limit, right? You can only contribute a certain amount. There is a limit on your 401k. There's a much lower limit on an IRA. And there are other limits on other types of qualified plans, like the defined pension benefit plans, etc. Without going into all those details, we just need to know that probably, if you're someone who is a good saver, you're going to be limited what you can put in here. And right. it's probably not going to be enough. The limit, in other words, is going to be a little too low for you. You're going to want to save somewhere additionally. So, you know, that's another consideration. But There are limitations on what you can put in. Then, once you put money in, that money may not be accessible to you at all. Right. Or a good portion of it may not be because some of these plans, many of them, have vesting schedules. Right? What's a vesting schedule? A vesting schedule gives you access to the funds, meaning that the the contributions are only going to be yours after a certain period of years in most cases. A vesting schedule could be three years, five years, seven years, ten years. There's all kinds of schedules, and that would mean, for instance, if it were a a seven-year vesting schedule, for instance, 
it means that only one-seventh of your contributions are going to be actually yours in the first year. And then in the second year, only two-sevenths <laughs> will be actually yours, and so on. If you if you leave the firm, you, you lose out on the two-fifths that was not yours yet, right? right? So it's otherwise known as golden handcuffs, but it is very restricted. And if you're making contributions to that as well, that can also, uh, is usually not, but could be, you know, still subject to a vesting schedule, which you would need to know in advance. Right. And then let's suppose that you do decide you need money. You know, I always say it is not a question of if you're going to need money. Rather than when, yeah. It's only a question of when. Now, when that happens... What what are the rules that are going to apply? Well, one of the rules that applies to all qualified plans is the 10% penalty tax, right? So if you are under 59 and a half years old and you want to make a withdrawal from a qualified plan, you're going to have to pay the 10% penalty tax plus the ordinary income tax, okay? Right. But, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, but I can take a loan. Well... That may be true or it may not be true, right? There are limited circumstances in which you can take a loan from a lot of plans. Some plans don't even allow for loans. And those that do, for instance, many 401k plans do, limit the amount up to $50,000 or less, depending on the balance. And in addition, only under certain circumstances, for instance, for a first-time home buyer. Well, what if it's your third home? Well, that's that. That I would think would be a problem there. Could be a problem, you know. If it's if you're disabled, yeah, sure, they'll let you take the money out. You can get a waiver if you're if you meet the Social Security definition of dis- disability, which is a very strict des- de- right. definition. Yes, yeah, very know. difficult to get. Yeah. Uh, so again, really, it would be important to know that your money is very restricted there. Otherwise, you're going to have big surrender penalties, or you may just not be able to access it at all. Right. And then finally, one of the things that often surprises people is that, you know, suppose that you did take a loan, and when does that repayment start? Well, immediately. Starts immediately. And on top of it, if you lose your job, meaning, you know, you get fired or you're, you're, you know, you have to leave the company, let's say in a recession, they downsize. Or just something better comes along. <laughs> something better comes along. They can actually, they do actually call your loan. Right. Right? Meaning you'd have to repay it. The entire thing. In probably the most inopportune time of all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just lost your job because of a recession and suddenly your loan is due. That's not pretty. <laughs> That's not, not a good situation right? to be in. So I always say, look, know the ins and outs of this and make sure that you're not in a situation where it's going to cost you to access your own money, and not only cost you, but you just may not be able to have access to it at all. Well, that's a lot of fantastic information there. If we do a qualified plan, if we decide that, hey, I think this is the right thing for me, you also need to consider that, along with the taxes, you need to consider, am I going to need this money? And is it going to be accessible to me at a reasonable rate when I need it, right? Yes, exactly. And if it's not, then maybe you need to make some provisions for some money that is is accessible without all these extra costs for you. Right. Now, to get a little bit more into some of the comparisons 
of a tax deferred before tax program like a 401k versus a, an after tax tax deferred program like a Roth, you know, we can look at that and see how that compares as well. So again, let me give you the simple example of the saving $10,000 a year and your 30% tax bracket, saving money over a 30-year period at a 6% rate of return. What would your balance be? Well, in the, let's call it 401k scenario, your balance would be about 838000 on which, as we know, 30% would still be due to the IRS if your tax bracket at withdrawal is the same, 30%. So 251000 goes to the IRS, you get to keep 586000 Now, let's compare that to the Roth. A lot of talk about Roths out there and the advantages, right? But the Roth, remember, is an after-tax tax deferral program, meaning the contributions go in after tax, and therefore the withdrawals come out tax-free in most cases, again, as long as you play by the rules. So if we're going to contribute 10000 we first have to pay the tax on that 10000 At 30%, that leaves us $7,000 to invest in the Roth. When we invest that over time in our 6% account, it's going to grow to a balance of about 586000 but do we have any more taxes to pay? No. No, as long as we follow the rules, right. we don't. So, in fact, the net amount that you get to keep is what? The same. It's the same, 586000 So, back to the question of did the 401k save me money? In some situations, it could. But in this, but situation, in this situation, no difference. No. And did the Roth save you money? No difference. No difference, right? And that's, again, because the tax brackets were the same. Now, right. if my tax bracket was reduced in withdrawal, now which one was better? The one that you paid the taxes later. Right, of course. Right? In this case, the 401k. However, if your tax bracket increased at withdrawal, right. then, of course, the Roth, where you have tax-free distributions, would look would best. A lot better. Again... Not saying one or the other is better or worse. We're just saying we got to know how <coughs> these things work to carefully construct the situation that's going to be most favorable for you. Right. And that's where a good qualified advisor comes in. They can help you look at your very specific situation to figure out what's going to position you to be in the most tax advantage position in the future. Okay. So great. Thank you, Brian. We've there's a lot of uh, valuable information on a very complex subject for our uh, Wealth Tactic Rebels here. Essentially, we have been talking today about qualified plans. Qualified plans are a retirement vehicle that allows us to have a benefit of postponing our taxes so that we don't have to pay it now. So the account can grow over time, compounding without having to pay the taxes. And that could be a benefit. But we have to look at it individually and decide if that is going to be something that is going to be beneficial. In other words, when we, over time, will that help us pay less in taxes? Or over time, will it cost us more in taxes? Significantly more, possibly, right? So that's taking into consideration the fact that it postpones the tax and the tax calculation. And also we need to consider is during our lifetime, while we're putting that money in there, 
especially for a lot of people who put most of their money in there, right? When they need that money, can they get to it? Yeah, without costs, right? Without, without any kind of significant costs or penalties. You know, is it easily accessible? So does that give them control over their money? And I think those are the, those are the keys in deciding whether or not a qualified plan is going to be right for you or not. So thank you for joining us today with uh, a great discussion about qualified plans. Thank and, you. Um, My pleasure. As always. <laughs> and um, thank you again, Wealth Tactic Rebels, for joining us. And don't forget to go to our website, WealthTacticRebels.com. Want to really see things differently? get your free Take copy, course, free guide Tactics to where we teach you areas all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life Thank examples. you again and have a great day. See your progress with quizzes and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. Information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.